God, we declare this to be true, that you do reign, that you hold the whole world in your hands, that the earth is yours and the fullness thereof. And as we gather around your word this morning, we ask that this reality would be sort of brought close to us, this truth and this confidence that you are God who reigns gloriously even now in the midst of distress and concern and anxieties that you are still ruling. And we trust that you are. It's your son's name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. And amen. Well, grace and peace, church, good morning. It is so strange to be here with out all of you. Um, admittedly, uh, preachers preach when the people are not in the sanctuary all the time. <laughs> I can't tell you how many minutes and hours I've spent, not just in this sanctuary, but many a sanctuary preaching to empty pews and chairs. Uh, preachers preach in their cars, in their homes. I used to take Levi on walks to just preach to him, to just kind of get it out at times. But the, the strange thing is not just preaching to no one, it's, it's that you just are not here, and I long so deeply for you to be here. Uh, for those who don't know, behind the camera uh, here right now, we got Garrett, obviously, uh, and Monica is here, and Paige and Jim Smith are here also, and so just thanks to them for being here, but we certainly miss all of you um, from gathering this morning. One of the interesting features in Paul's letters uh, that you often see is that he sort of articulates to the churches that he's writing to that he just longs to go and be with them. And he, he begins, in fact, the church, um, in his letter to the church in Rome, just with those words, I long to see you. And this is true uh, for me to our congregation this day, I just long to see you. And one of the, the sort of seemingly strange features of Paul's letters. At the end of many of his letters, he will often extend greetings to specific people. And we always think to ourselves, like, what a strange thing to add into the scriptures. Like, it, it seems like almost unnecessary. Um, but I wanted to just sort of extend my greetings to some of you individually this morning. Um, and so I'm going to do that, extend my own greetings. I want to say good morning to Sawyer and to Charlotte and to Evelyn uh, to Cordelia and Zoe, and of course Levi. I want to say good morning to Ellie and to Jaden and to Elias, uh, to Aiden and to Zane. Um, I've gotten a number of messages throughout these weeks that there are folks who just miss seeing these little ones uh, on Sunday mornings here in our congregation, and we certainly anticipate and look forward to the days when they're We'll be after our services, running up and down these aisles, screaming and laughing once again, filling our sanctuary just with joyful sounds. I also just want to extend a happy birthday to, I think, Natalie and Becca, right? It's both of their birthdays today. So happy birthday all. We're praying for you. You are getting old. And uh, welcome to your late 30s, I think, if I'm correct. But for now, we find ourselves uh, as a church in the middle of a very unique Lenten season this year. This is probably the strangest Lenten season that I have been a part of, at least that I can remember being a part of. You see, in most Lenten seasons, we as a church practice giving up and taking up uh, throughout these 40 days together. 
We often find ourselves giving up and fasting things like chocolate or sweets in general or coffee or Netflix or social media. And we find ourselves wanting to take up new practices of prayer and fasting, um, extending acts of charity into our communities, into our families. And we know every single year that there's this definitive beginning and definitive end to the Lenten season. And yet, this year, we find ourselves giving up and taking up things that we were not anticipating, that were out of our control. We find ourselves giving up the ability to go shopping or to get outside of our homes when there are unnecessary tasks that we want to do. We find ourselves giving up hugging and shaking hands or even high-fiving strangers or friends when we see them and greet them. We find ourselves taking up things like the little elbow greeting or the elbow chicken wing wave. We find ourselves taking up these practices of hand washing and hand sanitizing and storing up as much toilet paper as we possibly can. And I was thinking this week, I would just pray for all of those who decided to give up Netflix for Lent this season. This was not the year to do it. But the strange thing about the season of Lent is not just what we're giving up and taking up, is that we don't really know when this giving up and taking up is going to end. We have no clue. Is it going to be in a week? Is it going to be in three weeks? Is it going to be in three months? But we find ourselves sort of caught up in this indefinite wilderness wandering, if you will, this Lenten season. How long are we going to be tarrying and wandering in this wilderness? And we started a sermon series several weeks ago titled Formed. And we were exploring these passages that help sort of us reflect on how God forms his people in the wilderness. There's this moment in the biblical story where the people are out of Egypt, but not quite in the promised land, this place that we call the wilderness, where God does these formative things in his people's character and who they are learning to be as the people of God. And we enact this every single year at Lent. What are the things that you want to form anew in us? What are the things, God, that you want to get rid of in our lives? What are the things that you want us to pick up more of in our lives? And I've been curious to know how God is going to use this season to form us. How is God going to use these weeks and months to form us into a new kind of people? How will it form the way that we think about gathering as a church? How will it form the way that we just think about the church in general? How will it form the way that we think about loving our neighbors? And we can be assured that God doesn't allow any of these moments of our lives to go wasted. He is going to form us in these weeks and months as a church. And we originally had planned to to preach out of the text or the, the book of Ezekiel this morning. Ezekiel chapter 37. And as I was preparing for this Sunday, I sort of reflected over that passage and felt like we're going to stick with Ezekiel 37. So if you have a Bible this morning, I invite you to open it to Ezekiel 37. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 14. Um, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation this morning. But the scene in Ezekiel 37 is perhaps the most famous of the stories that come out of the book of Ezekiel. If you know anything about the book of Ezekiel, he was a strange dude. He was a very, very strange guy. And this sort of chapter is perhaps the most famous um, moments of his life. In fact, we all know, I'm, almost, I'm very confident that we universally all know a song that's derived out of Ezekiel 37. 
It's a song titled Dim Bones, which is an old African-American spiritual, which you may not know that it was all of those things or even what the name of the song was titled, but you certainly know the toe bones connected to the foot bone, the foot bones connected to the ankle bone. And perhaps what you didn't know is that that song isn't just about teaching our young people about anatomy. It is in fact a story about how God takes scattered parts of our lives and somehow binds them into a cohesive new unit for new life. And all of that is derived out of these words in Ezekiel 37. And so let's hear the word of the Lord this morning. Ezekiel reads this way. The Lord took hold of me, And I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Then he asked me, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? Oh, sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. Then God said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke this message. Just as he told me, suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones and skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. Then God said to me, speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me. And breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood up on their feet, a great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel They are saying, we have become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore, prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Oh, my people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. Then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, oh, my people, you will know that I am the Lord I will put my spirit in you and you will live again and return home to your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. God, our longing and desire is to hear you speak again. Open our ears that we may hear you perhaps to refresh and to renew, perhaps to give a sense of hope in what seems like a difficult time or what is a difficult time. And we trust, God, that you are speaking. We thank you for the grace that we need to hear you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. I'm gonna keep going. That's good. Um, The passage this morning 
out of Ezekiel is a record of this vision that Ezekiel has. The imagery that is given to us in this vision is sort of easy to understand in some ways, but what unpacks the scripture is an understanding of what's going on in this historical moment in Ezekiel's life and in Israel's life in general. You see, Israel is in exile when Ezekiel sees this vision. They have been displaced from their lands. The, the way that they have organized their lives, the way that they have lived their lives is no more. And the bones that lay in this valley that Ezekiel describes here are representative of the, the sort of state that the people feel like they are living. They, they represent a, a lack of life that God's people are experiencing. In fact, Ezekiel describes the bones not just as bones that are scattered all over, but he says there are bones that are completely dried out, like there is no life left in them. It's almost Ezekiel's way of saying that this isn't a new reality. This is a reality that the people of God have been enduring for a long period of time. In fact, at the end of this passage, I don't know if you caught it, but God even says that his people are feeling like all hope is gone, that there is no hope. They're in such a desperate situation that there is no hope for a new reality to come into the world. But at the end of this vision, we see that, that all hope isn't actually gone because God is present there. And that God is going to do something new in his people. He's going to sort of do bring new life about in them. And the temptation for us as people who are sort of resurrection people, that we know that there is hope to be found, the temptation for us is to read this story and immediately shift our focus to the end of the passage. To shift our attention to this idea that there is hope. To shift our focus to the ending of the story that, that we love. That ha- they all lived happily ever after ending part of the story. But jumping to this hope-filled ending of the story really denies us as a church and as the people of God to learn and understand what it means to be people who live in the middle of the story. You see, most of us find ourselves in life always between the beginning of something and the end of something. And what we're constantly wrestling with is what does it mean for us as a people and as a church to live in that middle, to live in the midst of the the dark valley and the dry bones, in the midst of difficulty and suffering and anxiety and challenge. See, right now in our historical moment, dealing with the coronavirus, it would be really easy for us to begin to say things like, ah, this is going to end one day. Ah, we'll laugh about being quarantined and talking to our neighbors from across the street. But really, this type of language is neither helpful or hopeful. Just anticipating that it's going to end one day, it it minimizes the people who are suffering, who are finding life right now particularly difficult and challenging I have good friends, good family members actually, who've recently lost their jobs and been laid off. And just saying to them like, oh, it's going to end one day, you'll find employment, does not ease the difficulties of their reality in these moments. Paige and I were just talking to one of our neighbors who lives across the street from us, an older gentleman who just got laid off from his job and he is struggling. And just saying to him, hey, it's going to be okay one day. We'll all laugh about this, how you got fired. is just particularly not helpful. But it also, when we just jump to the hopeful ending of the story, 
We miss the instruction for how we ought to live in the middle. How it is that we ought to live in the midst of a valley of dry bones. And when we miss how it is that we ought to live in the middle, we're actually missing the instruction and commands of God that actually form us into a new kind of people. And if we're going to be formed in this moment as a church, we have to live into the difficult realities that we find ourselves in. See, God is in the valley of dry bones. One of the interesting elements of this story is that God calls Ezekiel into the valley of dry bones. He takes him there on purpose. And they don't just sort of casually look to see what's going on in this vision is that God leads Ezekiel to take a deep look to increase and have a great awareness of what is actually going on among his people. And Ezekiel describes that. He says, the Lord led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground is that Ezekiel takes notice of exactly and to what extent suffering and brokenness are sort of among the people. So he takes note that people are hopeless, that people feel a lack of life, that people are broken, that people are hurting, that people are in need desperately of something new to happen in their life circumstance. And if there's anything our current situation has taught us about how we ought to be in the world is that we ought to have a keen awareness as a church of the brokenness and needs and hurts and hopelessness of the people around us, both in our church and in our neighborhoods and in our community and in the world, is that we need to have an awareness and to see to what extent people are facing difficulty and challenge. This ought to be a practice of the people of God. This ought to be a practice of our church to tarry and be a part of people's lives in such a way that we are aware of their needs. You see, this current moment that we're all experiencing and feeling is actually sort of revelatory to us about the way the world actually is. Not just in this moment, but the way that the world always has been and always will be. We're just more mindful of it right now. People are sick, and people were sick, and people are going to be sick. People are getting laid off, people have been laid off, and people will be laid off in different situations down the road. People are isolated now, but they were isolated months ago, and they are lonely and will be lonely in the future. People are anxious. People experience their life in this moment and in moments to come as hopeless. And there is a sense that we are all dialed in a lot more to the sufferings of this world in this particular moment. But we as a church ought to live that way all of the time, keenly aware of the brokenness that exists in the world. And it's only interestingly, after Ezekiel is dialed in to what is actually going on with the people of God, that God asks him this question. He says, son of man, can these bones become living people again? Can there be new life that comes to these people? Can these bones live again or is all hope gone? And Ezekiel, for his part, answers perhaps in just what I consider a very human way. 
how I feel like most of us would answer the question and how I would answer the question. He responds to God in that moment and he says, God, I, I don't know, but you know. <laughs> God, I, I don't know if there can be new life here, but I know that you know. You see, church, there is comfort in knowing that God knows. That God knows all of the redemptive possibilities that are at hand, even if we do not. It's not that just God knows what's going to happen in the future. It's that God knows about all of the redemptive possibilities that are at hand in this particular challenging moment. Is that God stands in the midst of that dark valley with Ezekiel and he says there is no life and it feels like there is no hope. But even here, I know that there is hope. Even here in this situation where you're contemplating and wondering whether or not something new can happen, whether or not something that was dead can come alive, I, God, know that it, that it is possible. And this is, to me at least, one of the most compelling features of the biblical story is that we read over and over and over again about this creator God who enters into the dark valley of the shadow of death of our lives. He enters into those places where there is lifelessness and over and over and over and over again, he brings about redemption. He brings about a new future. He brings hope. He brings new life. And perhaps you have experienced this in your own life where you know that your life was a mess and God enters into it and he brings about a new future that you were not anticipating. God, I don't know what you can do in my life, but I trust that you know. And we've witnessed this as a church and we've, I've witnessed this personally in friends and the lives of family members that God makes beautiful things out of the dust. We see God enter into, I've seen God enter into those dark valleys of addiction and bring about sort of new life in a person. I've seen God enter into family systems that were broken and characterized by abuse and distance and bring about new realities for people that were in them. I've seen God enter into those dark valleys where marriages are just hanging on by a thread and bring about a new reality for those I've seen God step into the internal battles that we struggle with, our insecurities and anxieties and our depression and our brokenness, and God brings about a new kind of thing. I've seen God enter into our vain pursuits that we thought we were going after all the things that were going to bring us satisfaction. They just ended up harming us and hurting us more, and somehow God redirects our trajectory into something different. This is what God does. This is what he does. He enters into the valleys of our lives and the valleys of this world and he brings about a new future. But what's of particular significance for us as a church this morning in this passage is that God doesn't step into the valley alone. In fact, he calls Ezekiel to enter the valley of dry bones with him. Now to be very clear, God doesn't need Ezekiel. God does not need Ezekiel to prophesy over the bones. God does not need Ezekiel to prophesy to the wind. God does not need Ezekiel to bring about new life among his people. But he chooses to. And what we see over and over in the biblical story is that God has chosen to act in concert with people to bring about the redemptive possibilities 
that he has in mind for our world. This is the vocation of the church. This is what we do. This is why we exist. This is the work that we are to be doing as a church. We want to follow Jesus. And you know where Jesus is going to lead us if we follow him faithfully? It's in the midst of valleys. It's in the midst of dry bones. It's in the midst of suffering and brokenness. It's in the midst of a seeming hopeless world that God and Jesus will always lead us. And when we're there looking all around the brokenness that exists in the world, once we've entered into that space and become aware of all that is actually going on with our neighbors and in our own family and with our friends, God is going to ask us to do the same thing he asked Ezekiel to do. That is, do the things that I've created you to do. Ezekiel was a prophet. And so God, in this moment, in the valley, he calls Ezekiel. He says, Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy. And Ezekiel faithfully obeys. I'm kind of convinced that if Ezekiel was a singer, God would have told him, Ezekiel, I want you to sing over these bones. I want you to sing to the wind as a demonstration that there is hope. And if Ezekiel would have sung those songs, God still would have brought new life. If Ezekiel was a writer and God called him, say, Ezekiel, I want you to write a story of hope. And Ezekiel would have done it. God would have brought about redemptive possibilities to that world and in that valley. You just do the thing that God has created you to do. In these weeks and in these months, church, we are very aware that we're standing in a valley of dry bones. And we need not walk too far to see and identify and have an awareness of those who are struggling. We have friends and family who've lost jobs. We have friends and family and neighbors who are wrestling with financial realities about how they're going to pay rent, how they're going to feed their family. We see healthcare workers that are getting sick because they're assisting and caring for those in our community. And in some ways, this contemporary moment that God has led us into is like the valley that he led Ezekiel into. And he's calling us, the church, to see the brokenness and do the things that we are already equipped to do. And when we do it, it will bring hope into the world. I have a, a childhood friend of mine who runs a, a bakery business kind of out of her home. She just bakes cakes and cookies for weddings and birthday parties and any kind of celebration, whatever, you, whatever your baking needs are. And she's phenomenal. It like blows my mind how excellent of a baker that she is. Um, but if you've been to the grocery stores in recent weeks, you know that finding things like eggs and flour and sugar are almost impossible to find right now. And so she, had, I guess, had shared with some sort of family members and friends that she was kind of nervous that she wasn't going to be able to continue her business because she couldn't find ingredients. And so family and friends, they, they began to just drop off on her porch their eggs. They began to drop off their flour. They began to drop off their sugar. They began to drop off their butter and powdered sugar and all the things you need to bake and to make frostings. They just started showing up on her porch. And so feeling a sense of this generosity, just overwhelmed by the generosity of family and friends and neighbors, my childhood friend, she, she decided, and she posted this on Instagram the other day, I'm going to donate all of the, the money that I take in from the sale of the next two weeks uh, to a friend of ours who just lost their job 
and they're struggling financially to just pay their mortgage. And so for the next two weeks, she just like baked and sold things and then collected the money and she was giving it to these friends of theirs. Uh, and do you know what the result of that was? More people wanted to drop off eggs. More people wanted to drop off butter. More people wanted to drop off sugar and flour and all of those things. And overwhelmed by the generosity again and seeing the great need amongst her friends, she decided, I'm going to go another month and I'm just going to donate all of the money that I take in for the next month to these families who've been laid off that are friends of ours. There was no nonprofit. There was no sort of business. It was just like, I am going to love my neighbors. I'm going to love my friends who are struggling. I know that I have enough and I just want to share with those who don't have anything now maybe you don't have a baking business that you can raise money for your friends and neighbors who, but maybe, maybe you have some other gifts. Maybe you're an encourager. Maybe what we need you to do to show up in this moment that is that thing that you do already is just to write cards to people in our church who are lonely or struggling, who are finding it difficult to get along in these days and weeks. Maybe, maybe your thing is you're just funny. Maybe you're just a funny person. And what we need you to do as a church is to get on FaceTime once a week or get on a Zoom call once a week and just bring some levity and joy and laughter into people's lives during this season. Maybe you're really good in the kitchen and we just need you to prepare some meals for folks who don't prepare meals for themselves or cannot prepare meals for themselves. Maybe you're just able to do grocery shopping and follow the to-do list. You know, you can find all of the things. You have a little extra time. But whatever it is, that, that thing that you do already, we need you to show up in this moment and do it for those who are in need. Let's show up in this moment, church. Let's show up and do the things that we already do in service and obedience to God. The psalm that was assigned for these weeks, or this week, um, this week's lectionary reading was Psalm 130. And part of it reads towards the end this way. It says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is great power to redeem. Who knows how long our involuntary Lenten season of fasting and social distancing will be? Who knows how we might be formed by this season in the life of our church? I don't know, but God knows. And because God knows, I will hope. And like watchmen waiting for the morning, I will hope. Because of God's great power to redeem, I will hope. Because of our God, we as a church are going to show up in the midst of this valley and give people hope by doing the things that we do.